This is what's happening. People are changing their lives because of their anticipation of collapse to relate more openly and want to do what's right, come what may. Hi, Vicky Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. My guest today is Dr. Jim Bendel, a professor of sustainability leadership with the University of Cumbria and founder of the Deep Adaptation Forum. He works as a researcher, educator, and advisor on social and organizational change with over 25 years in sustainable development initiatives in over 20 countries with businesses, voluntary sector, and political parties. With 100 published texts on the environment and international development, including reports for the United Nations, uh, and involvement in establishing and growing international multi-stakeholder initiatives, he was recognized as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum in 2012 through 2017. Then uh, he took an honest look at the climate data and felt compelled to say that the emperor of his profession of educators and consultants on sustainable development had no clothes. It was like the riddle of uh, if a, here's a dog and here's a bone. And if the dog jumps halfway to the bone with each jump, when does he reach the bone? The answer is never. Jem realized that nothing we were doing would avoid searing climate consequences, no matter how many meetings, pronouncements, or reports that we did. We are only and always jumping halfway to the bone. He coined the term to open a new conversation, a new space of inquiry and work about how we will adapt psychologically, socially, spiritually to a deteriorating climate. In 2018, he authored the viral deep adaptation paper, downloaded something about a million times. I came across this in 2019, the fall of 2019, and it's been very meaningful to me. And I wanna briefly note a few essences for those of you who are not familiar with deep adaptation because the, the shock of the paper is, uh, has produced a lot of debate. First, that he asserts the collapse of ecosystems, institutions, societies, the coming apart, given the ravages ahead, is either already happening, likely, or inevitable. Already happening, and we do know that it's already happening in many parts of the world. Likely or inevitable. We must tell ourselves the truth and then engage not just in mitigation, uh, doing the technological and policy things that we can do to sort of pull our impact on the planet back, or adaptation, you know, like the, all the things that we'll have to do and be to be able to continue to have human habitation on the planet. But deep adaptation, the inner work of facing loss, that, and that's not the end, as he says in the interview, life after acceptance is full of discovery and meaning, but there is this confronting the reality of the consequences of the choices that we've already made. And in the paper, he gives us a bit of a roadmap for this inner, inner movement. He calls it the four R's. The first one is resilience. What values and behaviors do you want to keep in our culture and in your daily life? What do you want to keep? Second is relinquishment. What values and behaviors are you ready to let go of? The third is restoration. What are the values and behaviors 
that you used to have in your culture or another culture that you'd like to adopt, the uh, collective wisdom of human civilizations and societies. Um, and then reconciliation, with whom do you want to make peace while you can? I find this such a profound roadmap for the inner work, the necessary inner work of being a clear-eyed and open-hearted and humble servant of all the work that's necessary now to address the consequences of what we've created. And you know, just to remind you that the future's in our imagination. Science informs us about trajectories, but the future is also a mystery. And so we can't just use the data to collapse on ourselves and say, oh, well, I give up or I'll just you know, go and grieve and have a ceremony or whatever. No, it's like, I find that this deep adaptation call is a call to actually rise to the occasion, to become not just your better self, but to become a real um, person in relationship with real other people and real landscapes that are threatened, but in relationship and in mutuality and reciprocity, and who knows what will come from that. So, Jem Bendel. Yeah, so, hi, Jem. It's just so great to be with you. As you know, you've made a huge difference in my life, and I admire you immensely, and I'm immensely grateful to you for your pioneering work. And um, as I've thought about this conversation, I've realized how one of a kind you are. You've sort of launched and led an important movement for facing into the collapse with eyes and heart wide open, but you learn along with those who look to you to lead. Uh, you sort of like wandered the trail together um, after you've invited them to take the wander and you've gathered to you a community of scholars and healers and truth tellers and, and even change makers, but you don't seem to have an agenda per se or a communications department boiling it all down to sound bites. And I know I tried to do that with deep adaptation, but it doesn't seem to be in your nature. Um, and you've come at our current predicament from many angles over many years. You're not all wet behind the ears on this one. You're, you've roused a lot of passions, but you're not a rabble rouser. You've willingly torpedoed a secure career in sustainability leadership by pointing out that consultants never solve problems. If they did, they would be out of a job. So the rest of us all nibble around the edges with papers and pronouncements, but, but don't mess with the emperor. And you have messed with the emperor. And yet you insist on nonviolence, on a loving response. Uh, and now you're working on the scholars warning. You've put your finger on some of the sources of our collapse, but seem to not be willing or able to other others to like focus on the blame and trying to find a scapegoat. Even as you come under attack and get blamed from many sides, really you are very uh, unusual. And I'd, I'd like to invite you in this conversation about what could possibly go right to look in two places, not just like looking out there about what you see emerging on the horizon that says mature awareness of our predicament and a mature response may be growing. And second, what is emerging in your slice of what could be called the climate movement, science-based truth-telling, nonviolent, focused on a loving response? 
where do you see, what do you see that movement? What's arising in that movement? Where is it strong? Where could it be stronger? So with all of that and whatever else is on your mind, uh, Jim, what could possibly go right? Yeah, Vicky, thank you for the invitation um, and for your introduction there. Um, it's quite affirming to hear that how I'm aspiring to be uh, does come across sometimes to some people. So thank you. Um, <laughs> I got the it. The <laughs> things you just mentioned about the maturing of this sort of collapse anticipation space and also what are the trends in climate activism and climate science. Um, yeah, I'd like to come to those, but I want to just say thank you for the question you asked me about what could possibly go right. Um, because I found it really difficult. <laughs> uh, and I realize I'm not the most obvious person to ask that question of, given the fact that I've now become well known over the last few years for predicting the collapse of industrial civilization. Um, so, of course, recognizing that some people think that that would be life going more right because of the amount of destruction that our way of life is causing uh, to other people and to the planet more generally, but um, something I'll come back to. But reflecting on the question, what, what could possibly go right? I realized it's a future-oriented question. So it can invite us to think about tactics, strategies, trends, and possibly therefore accomplishments or even progress. And while that's good, it's good to think, what's our vision? What are we working towards? Um, it can also take us out of the here and now. And so much of what's happened to me and what's been motivating people I've been working with since my deep adaptation paper came out in 2018 and went viral is about coming back to the here and now. So it's almost like what could possibly be right rather than go right mm. it's about a shift in the way that we are with each other and with ourselves starting from how we are with our difficult emotions as we look at the latest science the latest lack of progress in fact heading in the wrong direction we feel grief sadness despair anger fear vulnerability, confusion, uh, a sense of impotence, lots and lots of very difficult emotions. And the normal way of being with those, I speak for myself, my normal way of being with those emotions, but I've subsequently learned the way that's expected within modernity is, is to fix them quickly and certainly not show up with each other on a regular basis with those sorts of emotions and saying, this is part of who I am and I don't know what to do about it because any simple way I've learned to deal with this seems like denial, seems like a, perhaps even a, has a flavor of panic. Like I need to get out of these bad emotions. So tell, let me convince myself of a story of what could possibly go right, a story of the future if I convince you, then it must be true, and therefore my bad feelings will go away. So what's really been happening in the space labeled deep adaptation is people saying, I don't want to pretend anymore 
to keep it together, to show up with a smiley face, or at least not upset at work or in my conversations with friends and families or colleagues. I want to be more real about what's going on in me as I perceive what's going on in the world. And it's, it's from that shift. Loads of things are happening that I had no idea would happen. I had an inkling that something, a different way of relating, a different way of being would lead to a different way of relating, which would lead to a different way of dialogue and thinking and planning and doing, and ultimately, therefore, other things that could go right. But, um, but yeah, it's been quite a revelation. Basically, people showing up, as you said, open eyes, open hearts, open minds, holding space for each other in our difficult emotions has led to a new quality of engagement and has therefore, I think, begun to show that the mainstream narrative, which is like a binary, either you believe we fix this with more effort, more technology, more leadership, more of somebody else doing something amazing, and meanwhile we just get super busy with recycling and being you know, good citizens. That's, that, that's one binary where actually we don't have a collapse. We don't have potentially mega death. Uh, we don't have a, a deep reckoning in terms of our whole world view and recognizing that our society has become omnicidal. On the other hand, it's this view that, oh, well, just grab your gun, dig a bunker and wait for Mad Max. It's been these this sort of two binaries. And because people thought there was this Mad Max alternative to just working harder and the eco-modern view, basically, of, of, of reform, that people didn't allow their reality, their, their, their perception of a coming breakdown. And what Deep Adaptation community has shown, and the Deep Adaptation Forum in particular, since we started it back in early 2019, is that there's a very different way, a very different way of responding, which then doesn't shrink our sense of connection, but opens it up where old stories of who I am and why I have self-respect, why I think I'm worth something, that all fades away or crumbles because our belief in current society crumbles. And instead, we show up more raw, more open and compassionate and creative. This is what's happening. People are changing their lives because of their anticipation of collapse to relate more openly and want to do what's right, come what may. We might not fix much. We might not stop much harm. But we still want to do what's right. And we don't want to turn away from suffering in the world by the stories that have, we've grown up within that reduce the dignity and worth of people that don't look like us, sound like us, were born somewhere else. And beyond that, other species. This this assumption that, that, that humanity is the center of the universe. So um, what could go right is more of that, because what I've just described doesn't depend on fairy tale solutions to the climate crisis. If things keep going badly, then more of what I've described is going to happen. Sorry, I should say, and when it, more of it happens and more people are connected with each other, it does grow exponentially. So the Deep Adaptation Forum has connected people with that kind of ethos 
And now there are hundreds of volunteers who are showing how much that they want to help contribute to a new way of being in, in the face of the climate crisis in myriad ways. And they're supported by, by a very small freelance team of just a few people. But still, it's, I think the fact that it's so volunteer-led shows you that, that this is going to grow and grow. But it doesn't mean it will stop the other responses from growing and growing. And when I mean the other responses, I do mean the ones where people have unprocessed, painful emotions and therefore are more easily drawn to populist stories that want you to tell you who to blame, where to run, how to protect yourself. And uh, those, those sorts of um, reactionary and manipulative approaches exist today. They're getting worse and they will also get worse. So in my view of the future, I don't see the good things I've talked about necessarily creating a transition to an eco-civilization. And I actually think that if your motivation for doing what's right from your heart, right here, right now, is bound up with a story of, and therefore we will succeed in creating a transition to an ecological civilization, I think your motivation will be unsustainable because things are going to get worse and worse. And it's a terrible, terrible situation we're in. It's terrible to carry that with you. It's painful. But I think, although my critics, as you say, will get a little bit angry or bullying with people like me and say, prove it. But you can't prove it. Well, of course, nothing can be proved by scientific method in complex systems in terms of you, know, you try and draw connections and so on. And But in the end, you it, it's hyper complex but then well, how can they prove it themselves that we will avoid this scenario because all i'm saying is if we keep going where we're headed we're going to get there so if you look at carbon emissions if you look at carbon concentrations if you look at biodiversity loss if you look at political trends polarization uh the absolutely obscene totally disgusting outrageous inequality and also inequality of power then it's all just heading in the wrong direction. So um, uh, I've yet to see my critics prove that we're changing uh, sufficiently at scale and at pace for us not to get to a, a more, much more difficult scenario, which therefore leads to a breakdown in, in normal life. And then, of course, some people say that the coronavirus situation, because of its connection to deforestation and climate change, at least if you, again, in complex systems, you can't draw exact dots but the fact is deforestation and climate change makes zoonotic disease more likely so um so yeah i for me being freed of old, old assumptions of society almost having a dissolution of your old self opens you up to new forms of connection with other people and that's magical it's already magical for thousands of people and that's what could go right because it's going right. And it doesn't depend on any silly stories about magically changing everything. And what's awesome is that it is expanding people's sense of connection and commitment. So it's leading to new commitment to social justice rather than, than less. And, and actually, I'd love to tell you one story of because it, it is a global movement now. And, and clearly, you and I, probably Vicky, like me, 
we live very much online. So much of our lives is online. And therefore, we may not realize what's actually happening um, on the ground by, by people in all different corners of the globe. And I just recently learned about what's happening in southern India um, from the, the deep adaptation group there. It illustrates the things I've been talking about. So Oroville is an intentional community uh, in southern India. It's been around for decades. It's international um, and very much built on the idea of integrating one's spiritual perspective with one's daily life, in, including uh, one's work. And so there's lots of conscious businesses there doing things in a more green and more um, friendly way in terms of relations with the staff and local community. Now, a few years ago, because the Collapsology book came out in 2015 in France, a few years ago, they created a collapse group in Oroville. And the discussions were very much focused or influenced by the Collapsology idea that it's possible, probable, at some point unspecified in the future. And also influenced by the transition towns idea that the way to respond is to look at becoming more self-sufficient, closing uh, closing the loop in terms of your production and consumption, doing what would be right if everyone did it. And uh, then came the deep adaptation stuff. It landed in, 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 in a group in, in, I think, late 2018, one of their meetings. And um, Lakshmi, who's been telling me about this, and Daniel Rodery, they were, they were telling me about the process. They saw the predicament as inevitable and soon, and they also saw it as total. And therefore, you don't ride this out just by having your own permaculture if you're in a society that's collapsing around you. And so suddenly there was, there was almost like a challenge to return to deeper questions, the spiritual ones about who are we, what's important, and a, and a, a bigger commitment to the humanitarian aspect of this. Some people would say that's because too much of the environmental story is, can, has been connected to this idea of self-expression. Mm. So that those of us who are engaged in environmentalism, uh, we want to add on green clothes. We want to augment the self. Mm -hmm. So it's not, a, it's not involving a dissolution or disintegration or, or annihilation of a sense of self. Um, it's adding things on. So if you think collapse is coming in decades, you don't know when, or if you think you can nicely move to a nice village and transition slowly, this all kind of, it's almost like a self-expression, it's self-actualization and so on. It's an add-on. But suddenly if you realize, if you feel vulnerable, this could happen tomorrow and you'll be in a terrible situation. It, it really kind of rips off those green clothes. And this is what seems to have happened in Oroville with the deep adaptation group. Because therefore when, they told me when the COVID policies were imposed by the Modi government, and suddenly there were many thousands of day laborers uh, in their local town, Pondicherry, unable to get home and unable to have a wage and with no savings. So these were poor people from Nepal, Bengal, Northern India. The deep adaptation group swung into action to fundraise in order to get them essential needs. That was the, the, the first action. This is of a group that 
was talking about you know cutting carbon and um, growing your own food, but there was this bigger sense of we need to be ready for crisis and ready to respond. And so they, they swung into action, they raised thousands of dollars in the currency and they were there immediately helping uh, people who otherwise would have been destitute. That was, I think, uh, an example of the shift that can happen through deep adaptation type, type conversations. And I asked Lakshmi to write about it for my blog and for the Deep Adaptation Forum because I think it's, it's the most obvious answer to the critics who say that people who anticipate collapse become despairing and apathetic or nihilistic. We, we seem to be experiencing something quite different. So that's yeah. what could go right because it's going right already. Exactly. Well, that's that's what the question is asking: is to notice, to notice in 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 the um, the welter of news, those green shoots of things that are are merging, that are sort of in alignment with the kind of world that you sense is um, is the more beautiful world, as as we sometimes say. It's a, it's a very interesting perspective. Uh, I've been reflecting on this because I'm, I'm having a hip replacement. And so, you know, pr prior to a hip replacement, there's a hip problem, right? And having a hip problem, then you start to like contemplate your fragility. And I realized mm -hmm. that in a way there's, there's like in any disease process, I, I'm sure that people have applied the Kubler-Ross stages, but there is something like acceptance that comes when you realize that you're not getting out of this thing alive or the, you know, the green suit itself is not going to survive the tidal wave of consequences. And there's something about that where you, you face that and then, but there's more life. <laughs> there's more to do because there's always something next that's happening. And so and it's, I also find it really interesting what you're saying about um, one of the things that I learned in my, my sort of first year with deep adaptation and climate grief and just the reckoning is that my whole life had been arranged around in order to, I do this in order to that, you know, and, and if there is no in order to, then what is the motivation for action? And I think there is a sort of a, a what I'm hearing from you is like a, it's almost like a, an existential piece, not sort of a dark existentialism of meaninglessness, but an existential piece. I'm still here. People are still around me. There's still things to do. And I also, there was one, so one final question, um, because we, we've run here, is um, on this thing of acceptance, like after facing what's, what's so, I mean, you've started the scholar's warning. There are people who are in action in many ways, not just sort of the, the um, Arville response to the day laborers, but there's people who continue to be in action. Do you, are you noticing that people continue to act in ways that are congruent with their talents or predilections, but their motivations are different? Or how is it that people are still 
in that process of engagement. Mm. Yeah. So green suited self, that was a nice phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think many people, just like I have been uh, in the past, are laboring under the delusion of sustainable development. And that's painful for me to say out loud because sustainable development as a framework, as a hope, was, was, was my thing since 1992 <laughs> um, until 20, 2018. So, um, but once you're no longer laboring under a delusion, then it's destabilizing, but then you're still there. You've still got skills, you've still got networks, and you've still got that in original underlying uh, core humanity, the desire to be useful in the world. And so that leads to all manner of things. And, and to go back to your introduction, who am I to say what it leads to? I mean, the scholars warning over 600 signatories, uh, they, they come from philosophy, law, physics, or um, geography, food security. I mean, who am I to say, do this, don't do that? And it's the same with the Deep Adaptation Forum. Um, you know, I don't know, 15,000 people maybe engaged on the platforms from all walks of life, all various corners of the globe. So for me, the best response is to invite people into a different way of talking about how to do stuff, which starts with emotions, which invites us away from the quick fix in order to feel a bit better about my pain. So yeah, we in the Deep Adaptation Forum, we talked about compassion, curiosity, and respect, an ethos of asking questions. And I offered a framework of four questions to help people. And the same will be for, for Scholar's Warning. Uh, I'm just going to provide a connection for people to then to work out together what they want to do. But with Scholar's Warning, there'll be a more explicit focus on how do you bring a private, quite personal anticipation of societal disruption and collapse with maintaining your day job uh, and your existing skills and career and, and networks, because I think there is now a need for more integration. Uh, and it seems people are aware, uh, are ready for it. Like a few years ago, this was very taboo. Now it's controversial, but not so taboo. So we can actually begin to have conversations about how do you bridge this awareness, this perspective with, with your life, in an organization. Um, for example, the newest member of the holding group of the Deep Adaptation Forum is a technical officer at the World Health Organization working on community and public health. So the big issue there will be, you know, how do these things come together? Right. If it goes right, what could possibly go right is we do find those bridges between this anticipation of disruption and collapse with people's jobs right now in, so that we can actually try and um, reduce harm through um, retooling and redirecting existing resources. It's very beautiful what you're saying, really. Yeah, we all just want to be, you know, contributing human beings, basically. We want to participate somehow. And then we have narratives. We have the narratives we live inside that are toxic and that are that our team seem to be destroying us. And then we have narratives around our own egos. I mean, we have a lot of things that are not actually real, but they create havoc. 
And so as those things start to crumble, there is, we're still the same people waking up in the morning, trying to do some good wherever we are, skills, talents, connections. And maybe that is maturation. Maybe that is, maybe, maybe what could possibly go right is that, you know, however long our species has on this planet, we grow up beyond um, complete self-regard. And um, that would be, I'm, if I'm betting on something, I'm not doing anything in order for anything else. Of course I am. I, I try not to, but anyway, I catch myself at it every other minute. But still, you know, maturation is like, was like where I'm putting my bets, you know, it's like that we could actually grow up, grow, grow out of our childish ways. So anyway, I just want to thank you so, so, so much for this perspective. It just, it's, it's so rich. It's going to take a lot of, um, a lot of coming back around to it too, because it's so simple. There's no 10 point plan. And that's very beautiful. And thank you. Thank you, Vicki. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.